Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss black swans and the precautionary principle in the context of Nassim Taleb's thought. So, Tim, you've been interested in Nassim Taleb for a while. Could you give the audience an, an idea as to why that's the case? Um, Nassim Taleb is a significant thinker in this century. Um, and Nassim Taleb's first book and what he got famous for is Fooled by Randomness. I would argue it's his best work. Um, and Fooled by Randomness, as Gary North would say, is a, a, is a frontal assault on all sorts of people from mainstream economists, finance gurus, experts, academia, Gaussian statistics. It's a real laundry list of attacks um, that um, Nassim Taleb and Fooled by Randomness makes against the um, – the sort of mainstream, and it's almost proto-Austrian libertarian. Actually, it's through Nassim Taleb that I actually got into Austrian libertarianism. And, and as, as people like Brian Kaplan and others point out, Nassim Taleb's um, uh, references in his, I forget the exact name, his bibliography, whatever you want to call that, uh, the reference list of what Nassim Taleb cites, citation list, is just amazing. I mean, he has a large laundry list of of, of different thinkers, the Stoics, the ancient Greeks, uh, and so forth. So, so yeah, I mean, that's that, that's how I sort of discovered um, Nassim Taleb. Uh, Michael Miles found Ayn Rand based on the cover. I found him because he was in a talk with Neil Ferguson. I just happened to read a Neil Ferguson book at my local library about the World War One, and that's how I got into Nassim Taleb. I think Nassim Taleb is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, his main thing – uh, before I get to why I think – one of the reasons why I like him, um, I think he has an influence both the left and the right. Um, in an interview of Nick Gillespie, he just, what, Nick Gillespie asked him what his viewpoint is, and he said he's a left-wing conservative. And I actually think the more I think about it, the more I think it's true. Because one of the things that Nassim Taleb is, can be good at, and I'm going to get to this in the end, he's very good at defending things that the left likes actually better. And this was definitely the case with coronavirus or COVID-19, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's also true with, with it's also true with um, climate change as well. Um, Nassim Taleb arguably is better at defending climate change alarmism or COVID alarmism than the mainstream is because he doesn't use models. He uses his precautionary principle and he uses his black swan theory, which comes out of fooled by randomness. Um, so I'm gonna say I still like Taleb even after the pandemic, even though I'm a COVID skeptic. I still like Taleb. One of the reasons why I like Taleb and you're in our in first. On our second podcast, on our first podcast on Taleb, you said you, you, you described would he ever admit he's wrong, and you said he has a, his ego has its own gravitational field, and I think that's true. But interestingly, that's one of the reasons why I like him. Um, I think there's a sort of, uh, I think there's sort of um, a refreshing uh, side to his to his large ego, especially when you agree with him. I mean, if you're going to write a book like Fooled by Landness or Black Swan, which just takes on these sort of the, the, the Black Scholes model, I think it's called, all the mainstream finance people, they have their own egos too. To take on the like, you know, the the nudgers and all those groups. It's not like it's not like Taleb is the only person with an ego. Um, so so, but but his ego is uh, it, it is large and it is quite refreshing. And, and the Einstein brother, the Weinstein brothers were both and or annoyed or marveling about his behavior on Twitter because he is just a lunatic on Twitter at times. Um, and he'll do things like leave one-star reviews for like Charles Murray books, which, you know, you can take it or leave it there. Um, but but I would argue it takes someone with that kind of 
Uberman's ego to, to dry a book like this. But nonetheless, get out of that stuff. So many Ron Paul libertarians and Milton Friedmanites aren't that radical um, when it comes to epistemology in a way. Um, um, Hayek isn't that radical either. I mean, they don't really reject mainstream economic statistics. You know, Brian Kaplan clearly states that. David Freeman even states that in his debate with Bob Murphy. You know, some statistics are better than none. Some data is better than no data. Um, so Taleb in some ways positions himself as either a hyper-modeler, because this is this is where things are going to get tricky. I think this is more of your expertise with it. I wanted to get in that later. Um, but but Nassim Taleb sort of positions himself in a unique position. And as Gary North points out, Nassim Taleb might be almost proto-postmodernist and throws the baby out of the bathwater. Um, and that is a criticism that you can make. Um, and, but this is partly a point that hinges on what exactly are predictions. Um, one of the problems I have – so Nassim Taleb's basic idea is you, you can't predict a lot of things. Well, you can't predict them well, and you, in particular, you can't predict black swans events. Um, and the black swan event, and, and this is what his definition is, a black swan is an extremely rare event with severe consequences and some characteristics of them. They're big events, they're non-Gaussian, they're non-predictable, um, and they're not easily modelable. Um, now, Taleb may or may not think they're modelable. Um, this is, in some, in some ways, Taleb uses... And this is where this is where Taleb's math. He's against math in some ways, but he just in some ways he just wants better math. And that's the tricky thing which separates him from the Mazzesi and Austrians, who sort of reject statistical models or models and well, they reject empirical models to be precise from my understanding. Um, and there might not be evidence for them. So he's not an evidence-based thinker either. That's another reason why I like him, because people like Mises, you know, when you go out, they're not, they're not, they're not going to test the minimal age of evidence. It's sort of an a priori synthetic idea. Um, so Taleb is somewhere in between um, the two, um, and at times occupies no theory, which actually is a sort of both criticism and feature. Um, one of the problems with his um. One, one of the problems in general I have with prediction, um, and this is brought up in um, a story um, called Appointment in Samara. And so, like, let's say you're going to predict somebody's going to – you're going to predict there's a storm coming, okay? Okay, if the storm comes, your prediction is right, okay? But here's the trouble is, and this is the trouble of social phenomena. If you're going to predict there's a financial crisis, crisis coming, but then you're going to – then the government's going to say, oh, this predictor is really right all the time. We better have a stimulus plan, okay? And then you put a stimulus plan in. Was the and then the crisis doesn't happen? Was the predictive model correct or incorrect? I don't know. I mean, this is a sort of strange. Um, this is sort of strange Narnia world type situation where if you have a model and people change their behavior based on the model, and now the prediction is no longer correct, you know, you get into this this funny thing about things. And black swan events to me are the key events in history, too. And this is another thing that his, history, and you know, wars, great floods, you know, the Big Bang, um, all sorts of events. Now, whether or not, and this is where Taleb gets into black swans, gray swans, and white swans. And sometimes for me, it's not always clear, there's a clear demarcation between the three. Because it always becomes, it, it always becomes like to the turkey, the butcher killing them after being fed for 299 days is a black swan event, but to the to the uh, to the farmer, 
that that's known to everyone else is known the turkey's going to get slaughtered after being fed for 299 days so it's for sure partly a point of view problem related to the prediction and Taleb would argue and I think Ron Paul and Hoppe and all and Mises would argue that financial crises and great depressions are we know they're going to happen uh, and this goes into the weeds of sort of prediction um, and predictive events you know but when a big financial crisis happens, it is a large event. So it's the second half of his definition. It's a severe event. It's not a small event. Um, so I would say most of history is made up of what you could call, well, the significance events in history are, are, are black swan events or, or non-Gaussian events. They, much of history happens in a few days, and then everything else, you know, doesn't happen. And this is how I use Taleb's fooled by randomness and, and black swan to argue against my political science department to say why political science is not very good at modeling wars. Because like, look, World War II and World War I are much more significant than Grenada, even Korea. And Korea was more significant to the Koreans themselves, but globally, the most significant war was World War II and World War I, by far. They even on Kuwait, those, those are small wars. Um, those are small wars. Um, so, so, the, the big and the same way with like crimes, um, you know, the big crimes, they're, they're unpredictable in certain ways. Um, they're unpredictable to the mass. They might not be predictable. They'll be predictable to the act. The, the criminals themselves can predict them. But th that's more like just, you know, willing things to happen. That's not someone else doing them. Um, I've already discussed financial crisis and so and so forth. So those, I would say, are the, the general ideas of what a black swan event is. World War I was a key black swan event because you remember a lot of people had all these very fancy models that said, look, we have lots of international trade. Uh, we have lots of uh, uh, new technology that's going to make long wars impossible. No one wants to do wars, uh, you know, because we all all the, 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 the rulers are related. They're all Democrats. Um, you know, why, why are we? Well, whether or not Germany was, whether or not Wilson thought that Germany was a democracy. So, some interesting question, but nonetheless, you, know, you have all these sort of books out, the end of wars, this is before 1914. Um, um, and this also is the long piece. Taleb has paper on wars too. I mean, we had a long piece since 1945. Uh, and, and Taleb also has work on casualties. He says, you know, like a few wars represent most of the deaths. You know, the, like the Falklands War, a few thousand, even Vietnam for the Americans, a few thousand. But then, like, you know, you know, like 11 million, 10 million people will die in one war, like in like in a two years. You know, th this, these are these are incredibly outlier events. This is not an average thing. You know, if you're going to cross a river, it's on average four feet deep. Well, partly it might be one section might be really deep and the other section might be a few inches. Um, um, and then think and this classic difference between weight and wealth, you know, 90 percent of the wealth. 10% of the people have 90% of the wealth, but, you know, weight, on the other hand, you know, the no one, no one weighs, you know, 99%, 90% of all human weight. Um, um, so, so there, so black swans, they're unpredictable. And then there's severe consequences. They're not Gaussian. So you can't draw a simple curve to describe them. Um, um, and this makes them annoying for mainstream academics uh, because in some ways, it's not scientific. Well, it's not scientific as de defined by sort of these sort of Gaussian boring, I'll use air quote, boring models um, that can be easily done uh, using like linear regression 
and other types of techniques, which which they're convenient to do because that's what people have been doing for a while. But whether they actually explain reality and particularly explain these major events that do much of the, the, the things and like take well, like in a few hours, you know, you can bankrupt the whole country. I think this happened to Iceland. You know, so for you have lots of data. It's, it's almost like it's like the turkey. You have lots of data where oh, this farmer is treating me, putting, treating me very well, um, um, and so forth. And, and you get and this brings us, which we'll get into into COVID as well, or coronavirus. I prefer to call it coronavirus still. Um, or Taleb has been an extreme alarmist um, very early on about this, um, and. And again, I, I still like him because he was basically consistent. He was wearing two masks and eye goggles way back when people like Joe Biden and, and, and all the other, your, as you brought up, your doctor friends were making fun of people wearing masks, saying there's no evidence that masks work. So he was saying, well, we're not looking for evidence that masks work. So I would still say that Taleb is more consistent and he runs the Real World Risk Institute um, um, and, and so forth. So I've, let, I've done a long monologue about various things. I include some other things too, um, but I'm going to leave them out for now and ask. I'll get back into them swiftly. But so far, what do you think of the, his black swan idea? The idea they're not predictable, and, and as well as some of the other points. Swithin? I think Taleb's main point uh, and his, the main thing that's interesting about him is his focus upon event singular events which change everything. Well, maybe not everything, but they change a lot of things, and they. Uh, provide the groundwork for um, the time that takes place thereafter. So, for example, I mean, to a large extent, we still live in a post-Second World War age. If it wasn't for the Second World War, today would be very, very, very different. Now, I, I think that's correct. Whether black swans are purely black swans and they are not um, predictable is, as I say, this, this, this is somewhat less straightforward. I mean, what do we mean by predictable? Um, so, for example, if you take uh, so related when he I think he became very popular with, with the black swan in the context of the financial crash of 2008. That's what I remember him um, f- um, becoming more uh, popular. Um, the question was, well, was that 2008 crash actually predictable? Well, Peter Schiff claimed he predicted it, and so did various others. Uh, so, and the question is, when do you need to predict it? Is predicting it the day before still predicting the Black Swan event, or is it just completely, are you completely blindsided by it? Um, and so, in a sense, I don't think a pure Black Swan event exists. Now, if Taylor sufficiently qualified what he meant, I think I might entirely agree. Uh, but... I don't think things are entirely unpredictable. Um, so, I mean, take, for example, the Austrian business cycle theory. It will state that, you know, if you get an exp- uh, credit expansion, you get expansion of uh, unbacked. Um, you have an increase in the money supply not backed by any commodity or in a technical sense, fiduciary media. You will cause a, a decline in the interest rate. Uh, and you will cause a, a an unsustainable uh, boom. It might be very small if there's not much fiduciary media created, but uh, it will it'll still take place. But so then the question is, well, okay, Mises says this is now this is the classic Misesian position. You could disagree with him, but that's how Mises basically outlines his position. Um, and um, so we know that that kind of crash is going to happen. We don't know how big it's going to be necessarily. 
uh, we'd have to look at some more empirical data. Uh, and um, but we know it will happen, but we're not sure when. So is is that a grey swan? Is that a black swan? I I I think um, getting behind the big sort of black swan as as a pure black swan idea is. Uh, probably testament to Taylor's uh, penchant for being somewhat flamboyant uh, w- with his terms. I mean, that said, of course, the, so, the, the fat tail, you know, is, is important. I mean, I was going to mention it, but you, which I'll, I'll repeat what you said. Um, his points on averages is very interesting. You know, it does not matter what the average depth of a lake is. What matters is how deep does it go at any one point? If you're walking across it, that is. You don't go, well, the average height is mm, half an inch. Well, that's fine, I walk across it. But I didn't know that, you know, most of it is like a thousandth of an inch and one of it is like one part of it is, mm, I don't know, 20 feet deep. That, of course, is, is going to matter. Same things like temperature changes, he's used those examples before. Um, and also sort of the idea of uh, fragility is interesting. That, uh, you know, you can, uh, like a coffee cup can sustain uh small uh vibrations quite a lot over time and it won't break but if you get one like earthquake where it's sort of like high enough it will then snap and the same thing is with human bodies you know you can take a decent amount of injuries a small amount of injuries over a long time and it won't kill you but if you have one impact which is actually less than the cumulative impact of a, of a small uh so suppose you're hit for example i don't know i have no idea what they are but i don't know 10 psi 10 pounds a square inch of pressure um, all the time. I don't think that makes much difference. Maybe it does. But you can imagine you could have a lot of uh, those over a long period of time coming to a huge number, of, a huge amount of pressure being hit upon you. Um, but basically makes no difference to you. But if you have one impact of a thousand, that might kill you. Um, so the focus on those is relevant. And then, yeah, obviously not being able to use um, kind of the Gaussian or, or he loves to call it Gaussian. Everyone else just calls them normal distributions. And this is another thing with detail. He seems to like using his own words for things just because they sound better. Um, not the saying that Gaussian isn't used ever, but it isn't massively common. But yeah, on to um, statistics as such. He is at odd, and as you point out, at one time he seems like he's completely against statistics, but other times he's sort of like the hyper-empiricist. Um, at one point, I read an article recently, he basically claimed he was like a, a hardcore uh, popperian in sort of uh, empirical investigation and falsification, uh, which is interesting given his critique of mass, because, as you point out, it is somewhat similar to the approach of, say, um, of Mises, who would say, well, you know what, for a lot of events, we just there's no point even using uh, like normal distributions to... Um, to try to uh, predict what's going to happen because we just don't have any idea what's going to happen. I don't know what Taylor's view on the basis of probability is, uh, but I doubt it's uh, what's called the frequentist theory. Um, This was followed by Mises, followed by his brother, who was called Richard. Uh, Basically, the idea is uh, you can predict a, uh, a class of events. So a good example might be if you're an insurance company, uh, you can predict reasonably accurately because you've got lots of data of historical time periods of which houses flood, uh, how often it happens and what the average payout is likely to be. And then you can create a, a business model based on that. We have reasonable certainty of the probability distribution of when flooding is going to occur and then when you need to pay it out. And this is what they would they would call uh, class probability. 
Um, Mises, though, argues based on this that if you have a, an event which isn't within a class, uh, it's a, a, a different form of event, then you simply can't ascribe a, um, a probability to it. So you're genuinely uncertain uh, about it. Um, which I suppose is, is to some extent similar to table, although I don't um, 100% uh, know what his actual view is on that because it's unclear. What is clear is he thinks his math is better than everybody else's. Um, but yeah, so he, he's, his views broadly are sort of complementary to some extent with the Austrian uh, views on sort of uh, statistics. But in one way, he's less radical because he does think if your maths is sufficiently good, I mean, he goes on about um, how robust the models are. You know, can you change the, the variables and do sensitivity analysis, that kind of thing, to see what the result would be? Um, but um, yeah, he, despite his his bravado, he he he's not as um, skeptical as say someone like Ludwig Lachmann uh, or Mises would be on the use of um, statistics and uh probability so that, that's what i'd say on his, his overall statistical approach but i do think his view on the importance of as it were the fat tail is is worth noting as far as your point about prediction to me needs to be stressed clearly and whether or not i learned this from taleb per se but taleb, taleb definitely put me on this this way on this sort of path uh and Prediction is something interesting. If you define science by predictability, okay, um, so like when people say that, you know, the, the astronomers can predict the movement of planets fairly well um, or the movements of things fairly well or, you know, yeah, objects rolling down the hill or artillery shells, blah, blah, blah. Okay, these are things that are totally natural, natural of a capital N um, because in some sense humans are natural if you take a naturalist epistemology. Um, but but the trouble is, with, as Mises points out, human action. Okay, so like it, I'm going to predict, I'm going to turn my my mic off. Okay, and I just did. I just turned my mic off for one second. Now was that was that a that I, I that prediction was 100% accurate. I could predict the time the very second that was going to happen. Same with 9/11, as he pointed out to the to the terrorists, uh, the 9/11 wasn't a black swan. And to the people in the towers, it was. You know, the tower is safe. No large building in the United States has fallen recently. Why worry about it being safe? Um, you know, and the same thing with certain airplane crashes. Um, um, now, this might be errors of omission, but um, you know, you know, someone someone might have put the wrong type of fuel in. Um, maybe at some point in their training, they should have known that they should have put the should always check they put the right fuel in, and the plane crashes because they put the wrong fuel type in. Um, those type of things happen. So for some part, some part of the action, they know somebody in the in the system might know of events happening. Um, you know, you know, for Pearl Harbor, for example. Now this is to take the mainstream account. Um, take the mainstream historical account of Pearl Harbor. You know, people, the people knew that the Japanese pilots, they knew what they were doing. The people on the ships, they didn't know. So prediction to me is an interesting phenomenon, especially when you can change or you can dictate the actions. And I see with an example of changing the weather. Uh, if you can change the weather and the weathermen, um, 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 if, the, if, the, if the phenomenon is sufficiently natural and out of our control, out of human actions control, then pre 
prediction may be possible and testable. But this gets into the sort of icky parts of what science is. And, and like, you know, this is one of the problems I have with the sort of falsification of the Popperiums, which is what Gary North is very critical of as a Mises as well. It's like there's a huge amount of phenomena that, you know, we have to just sort of rely on, like <laughs> that aren't necessarily falsifiable. And actually, as some of the sort of Christian apologetics go after, like you could you could go you could you could try to falsify Lincoln. You could say, well, Lincoln doesn't just prove to me Lincoln exists. You know, and there's a great video that goes on shows all the evidence that he's a conspiracy theory. You can sort of work yourself into tales here. And this falsificationism in general uh, has problems. And, and most physics and, and, and natural biologists and all these people, they all have a priori synthetic truths. Or I would argue they all use sort of a priori synthetic truths that they have in, in there somewhere or making assumptions which aren't falsifiable to use. And actually assuming the Gaussian or the student, whatever the distribution, the normal distribution, is itself a claim that has to be made. And that's the one thing Taleb brought up, you know, because why why should events have, behave that way? And this comes up with dice as well. Um, you know, I've thought a long time about this problem. Like, like, and actually, and actually there are people that have gone and tried to do this. There is no such thing as a fair dice in theory, except in theory. Because like little dice have these little things and you roll them a billion times, the dice of course will change and then you'll get you'll get a you'll get a you won't get a perfect one through six distribution. You get an imperfect. Same with coins too. Um, so if you, so actually when you start trying to empirically go after these things, you get you get all these weird wrinkles um, and you get all these sort of real wrinkles. And then of course you go into actual like social phenomena like wars. As you point out, we're still living in a post World War II. Error, European Union, NATO, all the institutions that we rely on and not rely on air quotes have, you know, GATT, all those type agreements were all set up basically in the last three years. Even Soviet Union, Russia today, all those agreements. So we're living in a post-World War II era. Um, and World War II, for a large part, was unpredictable. Um, now, was it unpredictable for, for the actors who did it? This is where it gets again. This gets tricky. And social scientists claim to want to study. This is this is to me praxeology. This is why I got into. Um, this is why I like people like Mises and Hoppe. Um, um, what Taleb reminds me is of of a uh, of someone you've been on, I've been on is Todd Lewis in a way. Um, and I say this with great respect um, because I'm never quite sure value their methodology. I think they could produce good content. Uh, I think Taleb in particular is by mixing math at times and not math, um, come out with good content. But it's never clear what their underlying methodology was, is or isn't. Um, he also reminds me in a way of Edmund Burke. But of course, Taleb has more math than either the two of them. Um, and actually, in, in, in interviews, he stated he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't reject statistical models. He just wants better statistic models. And he, but this, in this regard, I'd say Taleb is honest. He just says he, his math is better than other people's math. Uh, I mean, if 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 Harvard's decisions and correlates of war project and mainstream economists would basically say that, that would actually be more honest than this sort of, well, we hide behind math, these models. These, you get this with people like Nate Silver and their election models. Um, and then again, Taleb went after Nate Silver's election models. Um, so, so, so part of the problem lies with what exactly is science. Um, um, and, you know, and, and again, Science might work with things like you take a hydrogen, you take a, take chemical X, you take chemical Y, you get compound Z. 
that's I don't really dispute that. I'm, I mean, I, I do have postmodern sympathies, but I don't really dispute that. Um, but, but in a way, if that doesn't happen, if you take two chemicals and we'd have 10 million, 10 million things, you get one exception. The exception means it's no longer a rule that you take chemical X, you take chemical Y, you get compound Z. You know, uh, uh, once you get one exception, it no longer happens. And this is where this is where people like Walter Bach points out, you know, with the minimum wage is like, you know, you have to retest the model, make a new model. <laughs> this was pointed out in his debate with Brian Kaplan. Um, so this gets into the ickies of, of, of science and what exactly is predictions. So if you define science by predictability, in a way, if phenomena can't easily phenomena way the human action get into this weird gray zone. So Swithin, what do you make about predictability in general? Um, regarding science and what exactly is it? Uh, uh, do you think the mainstream actually has a coherent idea? Do you think my criticisms of like you know human action, you know for the 9/11 example, for the attackers, they knew it was going to happen. You know the people who knew that the people who had the tanks were about to invade Russia, they knew it was going to happen. Stalin, he was surprised from every from everyone's understanding that when actually the tanks started rolling in, there were trains still going in. From the Soviet Union carrying ore. So, Swithin? Yes, um, with predictability um, and, and what is science, I, I do think that um, science these days has gone towards the, the predictive model. Um, I think this is largely due to uh, the abolition of the concept of um, anything, well, I was going to say anything having a nature. Because if something has uh, a nature and you uh, and it exhibits certain properties, and if you figure out what the nature is, you, you you there is something you can learn about it, and you know something about reality. If it's the case that um, that humans are just effectively imposing order onto reality, well then there's nothing really underlying um, reality which is actually coherent. All you really need to do is to um, is to uh, generate uh, accurate predictions and this sort of goes to like uh, positivism of the 19th century and then sort of logical positivism and, and falsificationism of the earlier 20th um, and I do think that uh, that's kind of how um, science tends to go because I mean my, my, in physics for example which I don't know hugely well um, a lot of the base in physics are over maths as opposed to well, what is actually going on it's about, oh, how could you know, we need to manipulate, make the maths and so we'll, we'll, we'll predict how things are going to happen. This is a big issue, obviously, in certain things in quantum mechanics, because you don't really know what's where. I don't remember the experiment properly, but basically you can't predict where something's going to end up or you can't do it very well. Um, so it is definitely kind of uh, gone down uh, that line, although I, I think science goes from there probably from. Um, the classic mechanical view uh, of Newton, because all you have is is matter and motion. There's no there's no real sort of objective nature, as say Aristotle would have. Uh, all there is just sort of these these forces, uh, motion, etc., working together, and then you can kind of predict uh, where they're going. So uh, a lot of uh, science now does seem, rather than to figure out what actually exists 
in the external world is merely concerned about predicting how it would um, take place. So, for example, where you were saying, you know, if you, if you do something 99 times, 100th time, it does it differently, then you've got to um, work out what the rule, the, the rule is wrong. Um, well, if you have an idea of um, what something actually is, uh, then you could go, well, actually, we know this is the case. I suppose you could argue that trying to figure out what reality is actually like rather than just predicting outcomes of it, you know, what's actually there, rather than creating mathematical models of, of um, how things will react if something takes place, um, is that um, you have some sort of justification to say, well, actually, we know that, uh, I don't know, hydrogen because we know what the essence of hydrogen is works in this way so there's probably maybe something wrong with the model or um or, or, or something along those lines which is aching to the sort of um what gary becker told walter block i think it was gary becker to go and do his um his um minimum wage uh, uh investigation again in certain cases because it didn't show that unemployment was resulted by it um so yeah i i, I Modern math, uh, sorry, modern physics does tend to be based on sort of just uh, prediction. That there, there isn't a huge emphasis on figuring out uh, what actually the, the underlying substrate of what's doing the things that they're predicting. Um, and I think you're right. I should have brought this earlier. There is a big difference between sort of the natural world and um, and human action. Now, you could argue that humans have a, a metaphysical sense, a strong version of free will, which means they're unpredictable uh, fundamentally in their nature. And by that, I mean me predicting what somebody else would do rather than what somebody else, somebody knowing what they would do, because obviously that would be that would that'd be categorically different uh, because um, I can't. Well, at least not yet. Again, if you the idea you have like that, the private mind that you can't actually view what you are, you're actually thinking, um, you know, even if you were to observe your brain states, you know, there's, there's something about consciousness, which is private, and which is inaccessible uh, and taking such a view. I think Wittgenstein held that view um, that you would not be able to predict um what's what they were going to do and, th and this is basically Mises's point with sort of like case probability you know every event that humans uh choose to do things is basically unique and therefore you can't really ascribe any probability distribution to it unlike the regularity of the weather now that said you could then take an indeterminist view of reality um i think this is an argument with respect to the radioactive decay of things if I remember correctly, um, you can you can it's almost impossible or basically no one can predict when uh, a pro an object will decay at any given point, point in time. But they can pretty well predict it over a particular time frame of how much we would expect it to, to to decay over, say, like a day or a year or something like that. So, yeah, th th so then you get the question, you know, is is reality indeterminate? To, to certain extents but then the question is whether that's even coherent uh it, it's not something i'm i i don't have a settled view on because to some extent to say that reality is indeterminate is an odd statement because einstein after the things of his general or special relativity i remember which and, and it gave the idea that sort of the universe was sort of probabilistic and wasn't sort of deterministic in a certain sense. I think the phrase he said, God doesn't play dice and spent the rest of his time trying to show that actually you know, the universe was sort of 
um, um, deterministic, um, despite his sort of relativity uh, theories. My, my, my history might be slightly wrong, but that's a general idea, I think. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would so on on predictability and probability, I would probably take more of the Misesian view. Uh, that said, um, I think to a large extent, um, probability and prediction is basically about our ignorance of what might take place, rather than some sort of uh, substrate of, of 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 the world. I, I suppose I'm, I'm a determinist in certain sense. And I think if you had all the knowledge about all the um, physical states, you would be able to work out what would happen next uh, with a probability of one. The problem is the the reality is so complex. Whether you know you have all the you you know all relevant factors is is the problem. That's why probability in prediction is fine in things like cards and dice. Now, notwithstanding your about the fair dice never existing, etc. But at least you know how how a dice can, in principle, possibly land, assuming it remains as like a six-sided uh, cube. Um, so you can kind of d beforehand you can exhaustively know all the possibilities, which of course you can't do in reality, especially with all the um, with with all the interplay and the complexity that that, that generates which then does uh, does significantly circumscribe um the usefulness of uh probabilities and things which i think is interesting back to taylor directly uh, how he says you know you, you want to use some more simple rules you know you don't want to have these heavily elaborate sort of uh regulation of sort of financial sector you just want skin in the game you want somebody who is running and making decisions to be able to feel well, well, to have some form of uh, financial loss if he makes an error, rather than working all these sort of optimization um, models, etc. Because you know you can game those and they might not follow reality properly. You know, you just want genuine incentive. And I think this is, I think, I think Taleb is most important in certain respects. Is what matters is, in a sense, which is consistent with an econ a view of economics, although he says he doesn't like economists, is one of incentives. If you can have genuine incentives for such that you do well, uh, you're rewarded. And if you do badly, you're punished, then, you know, you're probably going to make better decisions than you than would otherwise exist, even if. Uh, so it's better to have skin in the game and basically no theoretical model of empirics than to have a really, really theoretical model, which you say is going to work. but You have no skin in the game. And I think that's broadly true. So that was a long-winded um, general statement on predictability. Um, but yes, Tim, any comments or further things you want to go? Yeah, Taleb may not have the answers. And technically, if Taleb is correct, this is a point that Gary North brought up um, in his critique of him on, he called Einstein Keynes. Um, there actually is no fundamental answer. If reality, if reality with or out, without minds is fundamentally indeterminate, um, then if and if you describe if you describe science as, as predictability, then science can't actually explain anything because everything's indeterminate. Um, and this is this is with minds didn't exist. Um, if minds with free will or semi or basically compatibilist as if free will didn't exist, um, and reality is basically indeterminate, then what exactly can science actually tell us? I mean, eventually the planets will change their orbits. 
um, and the universe will collapse. It'll, everything will come into a black hole. I mean, this is basically, I'm paraphrasing and going in sort of a, sort of a, a short version of it. But, but, but if I ask cosmologists, I think this is basically what they think will happen. Everything will just keep, will run out of energy from my understanding or some, something like that. Again, uh, it, it's difficult to get these, it's, it's difficult to get these people down with hard, for as much as they talk about making testable hypotheses, at times, it's not clear they have testable hypotheses. And in some ways, Taleb is ahead of the curve um, by so clearly defining his predictability um, as this sort of thing. He takes out the essence, the essence of these sort of Aristotelian sort of inbuilt essences. Um, um, uh, let me quick pull up here a this – is, this is Gary North's quote. Mises defended the free market – economy because it was the outcome of deductive logic of human action coupled with, with informed free choices by rational, self-interested people. Hayek, Mises' early convert to capitalism, defended the free market on inductivist basis. I surmise, nobody knows what is true because nothing could be said to be permanently true. So maybe the best ideas win in this phase of, of social evolution. He built the case for freedom on the survival of the fittest, ideas, institutions, and moral rules. So does Taleb. Um, I wrote about this at Hayek's thought in 1982, The Evolutionist Defense of the Free Market. This is in Gary North's book, um, The Dominion uh, Covenant. Um, so so self-contradiction is made culturally to be shameful, a matter that can prove to be disastrous in science. So this goes back to the point I was just making about, you know, if reality is fundamentally indeterminate and science is defined by prediction, then, then, then things will constantly change. And this is your point about knowledge. You know, Hayek's critique of socialism, we don't have enough knowledge. You know, no one knows all the facts, uh, and that's why we can't – that's why we can't have socialism. You know, you can take sort of third-way positions in between the two, um, and Mises doesn't reject the planning, interestingly. Actually, Mises himself doesn't – you know, people plan. People make plans, um, and people can use knowledge. So in this regard, Mises is the one who doesn't reject the planning. You know, it has to true Hayek and can you actually make plans – uh, and, and that's and that's what that's that's where it becomes much more unclear regarding knowledge, predictability, and so forth. Um, so your, your point about Richard Mead, this is a brother, is is very key, and his sort of form of mathematics is very key. Um, Taleb takes an in-between view, uh, but I would argue Taleb's ahead of curve uh, in that regard because he, he he correctly understands that he t that. He, to me, he describes science the way that science actually ends up happening. Uh, and yet, you know, and again, Einstein and Keynes, and it's Keynes the probabilist that Taleb likes, not Keynes the economist. And Taleb does like economists. He likes Marx, by the way. Um, he, he, he likes Adam Smith, from my understanding. He likes Hayek. He just doesn't like the Cass Sustine and Nudger types. Neither did I, really. Um, so, I mean, I actually agree when what, what Taleb describes as economists. Um, I actually agree. I think you, you and Swithin would agree as well. Um, um, so, so in general, I would put Taleb in the 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 the, the ahead of the curve, um, pure popularian um, um, analyst, which uh, he he's pretty good. Uh, again, he doesn't have all the answers, and actually, if you take him seriously, there is no such thing as answers. Uh, you just you know. Contradictions. One one year, one thing might be true. The next year, something else. Um, and I think to get such a pure view on that is is quite interesting. Um, and if there's such a thing as an anti-cathedral that exists, 
Uh, I would say he's in it along with Heinlein um, um, and other and various other people. Hoppe. I think he deserves a spot in there. And again, him on COVID, and this is where we'll get into the precautionary principle, which will be part two of this episode. Um, him on COVID, in some ways he's more pure and more folksy. And this is a point that you brought up. Um, uh, he's not a statistical model. Or, um, he's, not, he's not implying a statistical model. He's just taking this on this sort of risk basis. So, so that basically concludes this first episode we're doing. So, Swithin, do you have any final con- comments on Taleb? Um, um, before the next episodes with him, I I think your uh, characterization is 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 broadly accurate. Um, being sort of an in between thinker, I'd just like to thank you now for uh, discussing this with me, and I'd like to thank everyone else for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, share and subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, the more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason, uh, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. <laughs>